G'day, I'm Martin Isles, and this is The Truth of It, a weekly newscast on politics and current events with a Christian worldview. You might ask why? Well, to cut through the fake news and bring you what it says on the tin, which is The Truth of It. Today is December the 6th, 2018. And first up, we turn to the issue that has dominated the final sitting week of Parliament, and that is the issue of school freedom. Debate wrapped up yesterday, uh, being deferred to an unspecified future time, uh, with the government and the opposition in deadlock, unable to resolve their disagreements. The government has refused to support the Labor bill that was put up, claiming to prevent discrimination against gay students, that is, preventing them from being expelled for being gay and things like that. But Labor like also refused to support the amendments that the government put up to ensure that schools would continue, would be able to continue to teach their faith and their ethos. Now, uh, I'm inclined to agree with what the Prime Minister said in his press conference afterwards, which was that these should be uncontentious issues, the removal of discrimination and the upholding of religious freedom. And yet, Labor refuses to support the government's religious freedom amendment, which is there for security because of the unintended consequences, perhaps, of the Labor bill. They say it's not necessary. There is a stalemate. Um, Now, it's useful to get to the truth of this issue to remember how it all started. It all started with a report in Fairfax Media, the Sydney Morning Herald, which was false. That report stated a couple of months ago that the Ruddock Review, when finally released, would recommend that the government allow schools to expel students simply because of their sexual orientation. Now, that simply isn't true, Uh, but that was a lie, and that lie was enough to start a very serious public debate about this issue, because it wasn't actually that untruth that was uh, the, the dominant feature here. I think there was something more subtle going on, and the something more subtle was the notion that Christian schools are expelling students simply because of their sexual orientation, as if kids who feel this way about themselves are suddenly on borrowed time until the school finds out and then they'll expel them. That was an idea that went unchallenged for some time. That was an idea that seemed in the media circles and the political circles to gain significant traction. And that traction was enough to turn people's sights onto the existing law, to forget about the fact that the Ruddock Review didn't say what they said it would say, but to turn their sights to the Sex Discrimination Act, which is Section 38. And that section exempts religious education providers from discrimination, certain parts of the discrimination law in connection with providing religious education or education uh, services. Um, And the allegation was that one of the effects of that section would indeed be to allow a Christian school or a Muslim school or a Jewish school or whatever to expel a student simply because of their sexual orientation. Now, that is actually true. That is one of the possible effects of Section 38, subsection 3. But, you know, it's never been used to the best of anyone's knowledge. Schools were not really aware that they had that right. And every Christian schooling movement I've spoken to and who have come out publicly since then have said, we don't do that. We don't want that. That's not a practice. There's no gay students here being expelled or being discriminated against simply because of their sexual orientation. And yet the Prime Minister was caught on the hop with insufficient briefing and journalists confronted him about this great outrage that gay students could be expelled from Christian schools and he promised to fix it. And of course he fell into the trap that was laid politically in that regard. See, 
you know, when we get these circumstances where we find ourselves in a situation where activists are arguing very loudly about a, 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 an injustice that doesn't actually exist in the sense that no kids are getting expelled for this reason, no school has such a policy and no school wants to do such a thing, but they've targeted this section saying that this great injustice is playing out um, and they push it and they push it and they push it politically, you have to ask yourself the question, why? What's going on here? Because, see, so often the real objective lies just below the surface. The real objective in these matters uh, is, is something that's, that's somewhat hidden from view. Um, and the devil is in the detail. See, it turns out that on close analysis, Section 38, Subsection 3, the one that they're attacking, serves a few other purposes which actually are pretty important. It serves a few other purposes which Christian schools and religious schools really are interested in maintaining. Uh, most importantly is the fact that that section probably protects a Christian school, for example, from uh, claims of discrimination being brought against it for teaching the Bible or for teaching Christian content or for teaching Christian ethics or for weaving that through their curriculum and upholding their ethos. Because, you know, discrimination is defined under the Sex Discrimination Act. One of the definitions is subjecting a person to any detriment. And, you know, uh, I've been doing the legal stuff for long enough now with uh, ACL's legal clinic and so forth to know without a doubt and to look at international experience that claims will be made that the teaching of a biblical ethic is subjecting a student to detriment based on their sexual orientation. Um, and that is, in fact, what is being protected here. You know, it even goes further. Canadian courts have even entertained the idea that simply not teaching, failing to teach, say, comprehensive sexuality education or safe schools-style curriculum is a detriment to LGBTQ students. Um, so this is a Pandora's box. This is a very serious uh, thing that we need protection from in, in the faith-based schooling sector. But that is why the government said, hey, hey, we need to move some amendments here. We need to move an amendment to make sure that that right is not lost whilst we try and close the loophole that's not being used uh, to expel gay students. So they moved amendment to say nothing in this, in this, uh, in this bill uh, makes it impossible for uh, a faith-based school to teach their values and, and, and uphold their ethos and operate according to it. And that is the amendment that Labor simply wouldn't support. Um, and you know, it's a miracle that the bill didn't pass without those amendments. It was only because the government was able to pull off the necessary procedural antics to stall the debate and to kick it off into the future. We were very close to having a bill that could have prevented schools from teaching their faith and their ethos. Um, and you know, the media is almost universally reporting this in the last 24, 48 hours as, as a bill to protect gay students from discrimination or to say that, you know, the government, what they did was to vote against the protection of gay students. I've heard this everywhere from FM radio through to even The Australian, which carried a headline, Gay Students Versus Religious Schools. And it was after the debate that opposition deputy leader Tanya Plipersek said in a press conference, this is simple, she says, do we support discrimination or not? Labor members of Parliament do not support discrimination against children. But you know what? That's the one thing that nobody disagrees on. That's not what this is about. Both sides have the same provision in their proposals to protect gay students. They both agree on that. That's not the point of disagreement. Gay students get that protection 
regardless of whose proposal goes through the parliament. The media have mischaracterised this nearly universally. The deputy opposition leader has mischaracterised this. The real point of difference here relates to whether schools can continue to teach their faith, their values or their ethos and whether schools are safe to teach scripture and Christianity. Um, It may even be whether or not they are safe to resist comprehensive sexuality education or safe school style programs. That is the difference. That's what the fight is about. And yet our society is so obsessed with this postmodern power structure and struggle and, and identity politics that they've always got to find the victim group and say it's all about persecuting gay kids. It's not about persecuting gay kids. Firstly, they're not being persecuted in the way that was alleged initially. Uh, but now we're at a point where um, nobody's arguing about that. Nobody has these sick, twisted desires lying in the back of their mind, much less Christians, to do such a thing, to discriminate against someone in that way. Um, And, you know, journalists gave this away in the Prime Minister's press conference uh, after the debate. If you watch through that press conference, the questions at the end, it's interesting because there was persistent questions to this effect. They kept saying, should schools really have the right to teach that homosexual practice is wrong? Now, that's actually what people are concerned about. Their real concern is the teaching of Christianity and particularly key Christian doctrines around sexuality, gender, uh, uh, family, marriage, and all of those hot-button cultural and social issues. And, you know, um, there are many involved in this debate. I'm not saying it's everyone. I'm really not. And I'm I'm not saying it's the Labor Party or whatever. There's there's many good people uh, who are not this way minded. But there are people who are pushing this debate who want to see Christianity expelled from the public schools. They want to see children removed from the influence of Christianity. And, you know, if they're coming for schools, um, I assure you that schools are not the last frontier. Um, You know, we already know that in Tasmania, with the laws down there, um, if you open your mouth in public or even in private, actually, if the wrong person's present, uh, on issues of marriage, gender, sexuality or family or anything like that from a Christian point of view, you can't do that without facing the threat of law. In fact, if you were to read the Christian scriptures relating to homosexuality, for example, in a public place in Tasmania, you could be facing the force of law. Um, The law's uncertain, uh, but it's very clear that much of that conversation is no longer safe, particularly following a recent Supreme Court decision uh, down there. You know, it matters not that these are faith-based institutions that have been set up to teach the faith, that have been set up in accordance with the faith, to run uh, and operate in accordance with the faith. It matters not that parents make tremendous uh, sacrifices to send their kids there. It's what they want for their children. It's what they desire. I mean, many of these parents can only just afford it uh, over and above the state schooling system. There's there's no doubt uh, that that doesn't matter. Uh, The aim is Christian faith and teaching. And that, let's be clear about this, whatever the media headlines say, that is the difference between the two proposals. Now, you know, there is no doubt um, that there's a lot of politics in this. And the other lesson from this is that everything is political. The media headlines are political. They're not uh, based around the truth. They're based around a political objective. Um, You know, uh, Labor are doing this partly because of politics. Uh, They know that the coalition, the government, is divided in its own ranks on the issues of religious freedom. And so you will see every time religious freedom issues come up, they'll make as much havoc as they possibly can, which they certainly have done over recent days and almost, in fact, embarrassed the government quite significantly. Uh, They will continue to do that on religious freedom because it suits them to keep the Liberals warring with each other and they know that this is the issue concerning which the Liberals will war with each other. But Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, he also played politics. He came out with his press conference and he said, well, let's have a conscious 
nations vote. Let's take the parties out of this, knowing full well uh, that actually Labor's trying to pit the parties against each other. Uh, and so there's a political game that's going on here. Um, and so the lesson here is that so often the politics of a thing can look like the truth of a thing, um, but they're not. Uh, the truth of a thing very often lies somewhere below the surface. The lesson for us there is that the devil is always in the detail and some will lie if it means they get what they want. Now that's enough of that. Uh, let's move on to uh, another issue which has been dominating news, particularly in Christian circles in recent times, which is uh, that of Christian missionary John Allen Chow uh, attempts to recover his body from North Sentinel Island continue without success. Uh, Chow was killed by the Sentinelese tribes people on November the 17th whilst he was approaching that island in order to preach the gospel to them. Now, his death is unsurprising to most who are experts in this area because the Sentinelese tribes people are one of the most, one of the last uncontacted people groups on earth. And for centuries, they have been violent to outsiders who tried to contact them. Uh, Seven people have been uh, arrested who helped Chow reach the island because it's actually illegal. Um, The Indian government, the Indian authorities uh, have made that law uh, because they want to protect the tribes people's right to resist contact from outsiders. Uh, But also there's a disease issue. Um, People are concerned that contact from outsiders could introduce disease and pathogens which would wipe the tribe out because they wouldn't have the necessary immunity. Uh, Sophie Grigg from Survival International said to contact a tribe as remote and isolated as the North Sentinelese is destined to be devastating for them. They will have little or no immunity to diseases from outside. Now, you know, um, Chow's missionary trip is going to be met and has been met with disdain, with outrage, with condemnation uh, around the world. Um, But, you know, he wouldn't be the first Christian missionary to face the world's um, spite and to face the world's uh, condemnation. And and I agree that some of their reasons uh, under their worldview make perfect sense. Disease, safety, so forth. It looks foolish. But I want to draw attention um, in this program to uh, a particularly bizarre and perhaps one-eyed or one-track-minded condemnation or response to what happened to John Chow. Uh, and that came from Queensland Senator Pauline Hanson, so a very unlikely source indeed. But last week, I think many may have missed the fact that Senator Hanson moved a motion in the Senate. And the, the motion asked that the Senate support the desire of the Sentinelese people to protect their culture and way of life through the enforcement of their, zero stri- their strict zero-gross immigration policy. So you heard that correctly. Um, if you're scratching your head, she's turned this into an immigration issue. Um, but not only that, she's asked the Senate to support the Sentinelese people's enforcement of their strict zero immigration policy. The enforcement of that policy was to shoot a Christian missionary to death with arrows because he came to preach the good news of salvation to the tribes people. Um, now, I'm not sure what to make of Jason Chow's wisdom or or otherwise. Uh, It's easy to sit back and criticise. And do we ever do things perfectly in moments like this? Probably not, no. Um, But I do know this. I know that some of Jesus' last words on this earth were to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And the disciples who heard him say that, it led them to do a lot of crazy and bonkers things. Uh, It led them to travel to the ends of the earth. It led them... Uh, on missionary journeys that uh, made them risk life and limb until ultimately many of them were killed, perhaps in similar mechanisms to John Chow, because they took seriously that imperative to take the gospel to all people. Um, 
they were even martyred as Chow was. And you know, he was fully aware of the risks. I'm going to read to you his final letter. Uh, this was taken from his journal uh, just before he went over onto the island. He went once and got shot at and escaped, went back and, and died. And Chow wrote this. He wrote, Brian and Mary, mum and dad. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when I pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this Centulese tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshipping in their own language, as Revelation 7 states. I love you all, and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Soli Deo Gloria. It's a remarkable little note there. And, you know, I, have a, I just have a hunch. I mean, many of you will know the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Um, and I just have a hunch that maybe Jason or John Chow's desire could be met. Uh, maybe one day they actually will be standing around the throne of God worshipping in their own language. These things have a habit of working out that way in history. So maybe we could pray for the Centuries tribes people. Um, I want to quickly cover uh, the school strike for climate action. Um, this is a story from last week, Friday, November the 30th, when thousands of children aged between 5 and 18 walked out of school to protest climate change. It's a move that was organised by School Strike for Climate Action, offering kids the chance to sign themselves up on Facebook. Um, and that's ongoing. There's a big protest in Parliament House, uh, I think, yesterday. Um, and now they've got another one coming up on the 8th of December, I think. And thousands of kids are walking out of school. And some of them says you can strike for a week, strike for a day, strike for you know, varying amounts of time. Um, and their demands are threefold. You look at the march and, and, and they've got sullen expressions. Uh, many of them are shouting abuse and foul language at Scott Morrison or ScoMo. Um, which is not particularly nice, uh, particularly for kids, and they're wielding placards, uh, and the demands are one, stop the Adani coal mine, two, no new oil or gas, and three, 100% renewable energy by 2030, which is not that far away. Um, you know, I was looking at this, and I, I mean, there's all sorts of issues around, well, should kids be in school? Uh, are kids really, is it right to co-opt them into your political cause? Um, the first thing that strikes me is, um, uh, you know, if they understood that by 2030 they could be 30 years old on a modest wage, paying power bills and mortgage to the hilt or renting in an inflated market, um, they'd probably think better of their current efforts if they really knew what that was like. And that's just the thing they don't know. Um, they, they don't know a lot, actually, five years old to 18 years old. Um, they don't know the realities of bills, of costs, of work, of responsibility. Who does at that age? You rely on others in those things. Um, they're unlikely, and I've, I've helped a lot of kids with high school assignments in the last few years, and I tell you they're very unlikely to have been exposed to a balanced debate on the subject or even be able to quantify the environmental impact of what they're doing right now. Um, but, you know, perhaps the, the biggest unknown for them, uh, and the one that strikes me as the most serious, is this. Um, most of them won't know this, which is quite tragic, that they are just pawns in somebody else's political game. Um, they're pushing the political objectives of adults who should know better. Uh, and those adults are partly doing it because these young activists, trained so eagerly, so energetically, um, are going to be very useful indeed. And they're going to be very useful indeed for a long time to come. And I think that's quite sad to draw children into your political objectives. Um, look, finally... Uh, I'm going to turn to an issue that hasn't been that big in the news, 
uh, and, uh, but it's something of personal interest to me. Those of you who follow either uh, Ben Shapiro, uh, and if you don't, Google him, thank me later. Uh, he's a very, very smart uh, young Jewish man in the, in the United States who's uh, leading uh, the culture wars over there and is an articulate speaker and debater. And also um, Pastor John MacArthur, who some of you might know if you're from a, a more evangelical persuasion. Um, and Pastor John MacArthur would be one of the most influential um, uh, Christian preachers for the last 50 years. There's, there's no doubt about that. Certainly his podcast and his international reach is, is almost unrivaled. Um, but of interest to me was that Pastor John MacArthur and, and the uh, practicing and, and, and ardent Jew Ben Shapiro, uh, they were together in an interview uh, on the Ben Shapiro show uh, on Sunday, just past. And it was very refreshing. I mean, Pastor MacArthur did a great job of bringing the gospel into that situation and telling Ben what the difference was between Judaism and Christianity. <coughs> but um, the main thing that got me was this. So much of what we're talking about lately is um, the shutting down of speech of a Christian nature. Um, you know, one thing that concerns me, for example, is with the Tasmanian laws that were changed recently uh, and also the existing laws that are already down there, you know, that banning on uh, speaking in a way that offends people. Um, that only targets people who tell the truth on gender, sexuality, marriage, family. That's the practical implication of that. Uh, it's Christians who struggle. If you read the Christian scriptures, certain passages, let's say Romans 1, um, there's no doubt that you would be very vulnerable uh, to a legal claim against you. So Tasmania's gone that way. But also the school stuff that I talked about at the beginning. You notice the, the, the tone of the reporter's questions. They ask it very, in a very superior way. They say, well, should a school really be able to teach that homosexual practice is not right? Um, well, it's so often the case that people are saying this is offensive, this is offensive, this is offensive. And one of the things that concerns me is that there's many Christians who would say, well, let's be less offensive, less offensive, less offensive, and dance to the tune that's being set by activists or start doing what the activists would demand of us. But, you know, Pastor MacArthur brought such clarity. I'm going to read what he said. You know, Ben Shapiro said, well, what do you make of this um, tendency to um, fight back against things that offend and he said, the whole purpose of the Christian message is to confront the sinner's sin. So you can call the sinner to repentance. The sinner doesn't like that. He says, um, you know, when I was going to come on the show, uh, uh, one of the questions in the questionnaire was, um, do you think Democrats are offended by some of the things you say? And he sort of said, well, we didn't sort of say this as a quote. He said, well, my goal is to offend everyone. That's my initial goal, to tell you that you are without God in the world and that there is only one saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are in sin, that sin brings death and punishment. But the good news is that Jesus Christ is the saviour who has provided a way for you to be forgiven by bearing your sins in his body on the tree so that God's justice is satisfied and his love can be extended to you. He says, if you try and develop a Christianity that's not offensive, it's not Christianity, it's not the gospel. Now, We've got to be careful here. We're not saying offensive in the sense of, you know, you're a jerk and I hate you, um, which is the way that it plays out so often in public discourse. But what Pastor MacArthur was getting at here was to say there is an offence to the gospel. The offence is you need a saviour um, and here's the nature of your need. It's called sin. And, you know, as we try and navigate uh, the emerging issues in our society, the new laws that are being passed, the challenges that come against us, uh, the, the, the questions people ask us with hot anger about isn't that offensive? Uh, and we sit there and we think, how can we be less offensive? How can we more, be more winsome and nuanced? My concern would be, don't give away the gospel itself. Because we might find ourselves slowly backed into a corner where we can no longer speak the truth. It is biblical. It's absolutely scriptural that the gospel of Jesus Christ carries an offense. Paul says that very clearly. 
People were offended by Jesus and his words. People were offended by the prophets. People were offended by the apostles. But you know that offense, if it's, if it's rightly channeled, if it's over guilt, if it's over the need that we have before God, that offense can drive us either away from God or towards God. And so is the final word. I wanted to say that little insight. And if you haven't heard of Ben Shapiro, go Google him. If you haven't heard of Pastor MacArthur, um, go Google him. Um, he's one of the uh, great Christian voices out there. I know that there's denominational divides around him. I'm not interested in that stuff. Um, I'm interested in the truth that, that these people speak, whatever their denomination. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Mark Niles, and that was the truth of it.